Welcome to Nova's third webinar. We'll talk a little bit more about this series and, and some of the topics that we've covered and topics that we intend to cover still. But we're having a ton of fun doing these and we love that folks continue to come to them and engage with us. It's awesome to be having this conversation with more than just ourselves, uh, which is also a fun conversation. So thank you all for coming, especially uh, for many folks, what is a holiday week? So we're so glad that you're here and we really hope you can participate throughout. Um, we want to we wanna hear from you as well. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about the title of this and we'll dig more into that as we continue to, to layer in some context here. We've been talking about the DEI recession at NOVA for a while now. And yes, we mean recession from a financial and fiscal point of view. Uh, budgets are getting cut. There's this looming sort of mysterious recession that's happening in the world, or is it? No one's really sure. Uh, but we really mean this from a, a spiritual point of view, right? A commitment point of view, an energy point of view of sort of the fading of the energy and the heart around this work that we've been noticing. And in that, you know, in many of our organizations translates to budget, translates to money. Uh, but I think where we've been Noticing the pattern and feeling some of the despair and also some of the curiosity is really around the energy around this work and, and how we got to this place and how we can move forward and how folks doing this work in their own organizations can keep pushing momentum uh, and sort of push through the DEI recession that we're in. So we think of this the whole conversation and sort of with two different audiences in mind. Uh, one of the audiences is the folks who are doing this kind of work, whether you're a champion or an ambassador in your organization, or maybe you're in a in an official DEI capacity. Um, and especially those folks who have been doing this work, whether paid or unpaid, you know, since 2020, this is really kind of a love letter to those folks who have been through it. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that and how we got here. Uh, and it's also, we almost titled this webinar, send this to your boss, um, because it's also a call in, right? It's a letter to the folks in charge, um, the folks who do make those budget decisions and, and the folks who maybe a couple of years ago were making commitments and promises and pledges and statements. And, um, you know, where, where are we now and, and how can we get back to that place of commitment? So sort of twofold in the ways that we're talking about this and sort of who the intended audience is. So we're excited to dive into that. Quick introductions. My name is Brent Hovde, pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm one of the founding partners of NOVA and I oversee operations on a daily basis. My name is Jasmine Nelson and my pronouns are she, her, hers as well. I'm a strategist here at NOVA. I've been with the team for about a year and a half. It's been absolutely great. Um, and I work with the client services side. Pass it over to Ben. Thank you, Jasmine. My name is Benjamin Henning. I am uh, go by he, him. I'm a project lead here at Nova Collective. I've been on the team for about seven months at this point. Just thrilled to be working with such an amazing team. And that leads me to the next thing. I'm so excited that I get to introduce you to and give an overview of the Nova Collective. The Nova Collective is a diversity, equity, and inclusion, also known as DAI consulting firm, that was founded in 2016, almost six years ago. Changes to the DEI landscape have been monumental during this time, and we've been on the front lines adapting to the needs of our clients in real time. We're a certified minority business enterprise as well as a women's business enterprise. There are about 40 teammates that work at Nova, with half of them being full-time, and the other half are contractors who are primarily facilitators, moderators, and doing data and research for us. Bryn. 
Yeah, a little bit about what we do. And many of you already know this is not this is not a pitch for Nova per se, but just some flavor on the kind of work that we do as an organization. Uh, learning and development, we have many, many modalities and topics covered and, and ways of doing DEI learning from you know, typical instructor-led workshops and sessions to panel discussions, executive coaching around DEI, um, to webinars. So really a lot of different form factors um, that, that we cover when it comes to our L&D work. We have our own research and data department. So a big piece of, of a lot of the work we do is, is measurement and metrics. And so our research department does mixed methods, research around DEIB sentiment. Uh, they do metrics and planning. They can do uh, bespoke data analysis. So for looking at pay equity or other things around existing data within an organization, they do secondary research. So a huge capability and team that works on, on those pieces. And then the general catch-all umbrella of strategy and consulting. So it boils down to giving folks advice, guidance, partnering with different organizations to sort of navigate uh, their particular journey uh, with them, however that is shaping up. Sometimes it's creating tools and toolkits. Uh, sometimes it's making sure that the tools and toolkits are actually being used and operationalized uh, and communicated about. So really a, a 360 consulting and strategy uh, arm that we have there. Talk a little bit about why are we doing this? Uh, why are we doing this conversation we sort of spoke to, but why is Nova doing this? Uh, again, I said this is our third webinar and there's many more to come because we've been having and we continue to have these conversations as a team. It's it's truly one of the most joyful parts about working at Nova is when our meetings go sideways and we end up kind of unpacking big topics like the ones that we've been doing within these conversations. So we wanted to expand the group for that. We wanted to hear from more folks than just ourselves. We wanted to get more perspectives. And that's really why we started doing these sessions. Uh, in December, we will have uh, another webinar. And I'll, I'll uh, lead into it by saying that initially, because of it being December, we were going to have a conversation around inclusive holiday season. Uh, and we tossed that out the window and thought it sounded like too, too easy of a topic. And instead, we're going to be talking about white supremacy and how it shows up in the real world and be having a really intentional conversation around uh, how white supremacy pits folks against each other. And so that'll be definitely one, one to be tuning into. As we get into this, it's important to know uh, a couple of things. This is conversational. So this is uh, really us talking amongst ourselves and with you. To that end, there can be um, it, it can be curse words. Uh, that's me. I'm usually the one who does that. It, it, it will be casual and candid. Uh, so it's not the most polished webinar that you'll probably go to this year. But again, it's it's really how our conversations go internally. We want to acknowledge that uh, we don't hold all the possible identities. So everything we talk about today is going to be really grounded in each of our individual and then, of course, our collective experience. But we don't say that that is everyone's experience, right? And we do want to hear from you and what your personal experience is and was. And we want to acknowledge that there are plenty of narratives that aren't going to be represented as we talk through this. Um, and so we're not, we're working to be very intentional around our own lived experiences and not speaking on behalf of others who may have different experiences in this work. I'll also say this in particular uh, is 
can, can have the potential to be a triggering conversation for a lot of folks. We're going to be going back. We're going to be talking about 2020 and how we got here. And there's a lot of heavy uh, things within that conversation. And so just sort of a general content warning to take care of yourself. I think take a deep breath as we get into these, pay attention to your body uh, and, and what it's telling you, because there's a lot of things that went down in a very short period of time. And we're going to be kind of rehashing some of those. There will be plenty of opportunities to participate. We would love to see you in the chat at any time. I can't see you in the chat, but my colleague can, so that's good. Uh, and then there'll be a few times when we really want to pause and, and have a more robust conversation. We have Becca on the back end who can unmute you if you want to participate in the conversation audibly. Uh, would love to hear from you or certainly uh, just participating in the chat and sharing your thoughts and experiences there. It's great. And as we get towards the end, if there's enough time, we will uh, open it up for a more broad discussion. So that is the context setting. And now we're going to dive in. Let's do it. Okay, so let's kick it off with a quote that I saw on Instagram it was nearing the end of 2020 and it really resonated with me and I thought it would be a great way to start the conversation today. And so the quote just says, COVID-19 woke you up to taking care of your health. Shelter in place woke you up to appreciating the life you have. The recession woke you up to the importance of saving your money. The Black Lives Matter uh, movement woke, up to, woke you up to the power of taking action. You're awake now, and it will take a conscious decision and intentional work to stay awake. Don't let them lock you back to sleep. Um, this was really important because nearing the end of, which we'll get into, um, the height of every single thing that was happening, this came out as it just was starting to calm down a little bit. And I saved it um, from all the way back then because I wanted to remind myself that life will continue to move and things will start to quote unquote get back to normal but I never wanted to forget how I felt and how this you know year of 2020 at that time affected me so with that being said I want to pause here to just speak to the audience how does this quote resonate with you what are some things that you remember about towards the end that this wakes up for you this quote come off mute or put it in the chat, but I just thought it would be interesting to just kick it off with asking you that. And Jasmine, after you shared this with us uh, last week, this was the first time I had seen it, but I keep thinking about this last line, don't let them rock you back to sleep. It just resonates with me completely. Yeah, a reminder here, I see here in the chat uh, from Michelle of this quote, and part of the reason I'm here is to stay awake. Yes, yes, we have to hold each other accountable to stay awake, that's for sure. Definitely. Okay, well, we can move on, but that's just something I thought was, you know, as Michelle said, this is exactly what this webinar is about today to remind us where we were and uh, where we are and where we could be. So um, yes, the urgency people had, the need, yes, all of that, for sure. So then, with that being said, let's take it back to 2020, the DEI bubble. Um, some of this may seem a little familiar, very familiar actually to many of you. Um, the Blackout Tuesday campaign that was released where everyone was put in the, um, the black 
photo on their grids on Instagram. Obviously, all of the companies here um, at the bottom left corner were Netflix to be silent is to be complicit. And, you know, all of that that was rolling out. Of course, George Floyd and that the kickoff of, of what of why we're here today, in, you know, of 2020. Right. And then COVID, the start of the pandemic, I remember seeing Idris. Um, Elba come out with this and it was so shocking and jarring. I was like, the celebrities are getting it. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> and just seeing um, just all of these things that were unfolding all at once and how jarring that was. So we're taking it back. And speaking of taking it back, when we were talking about the events, we we're thinking of it more like a timeline. There were so many things and I recognize there's so many things here um that aren't listed this would be like a five slide timeline if we listed everything that happened just in 2020 but we just wanted to pull some of the highlights so the start of the pandemic um the most uncertain time we've never experienced anything like this before um it was just so jarring the news was covering how you know in new york bodies they were not having anywhere to you know bury people. It was just, it was so uncertain. We had shelter in place. We couldn't leave the house. We didn't know what the next steps were. It was such a rough time. Ben and Bren, do you want to speak to your experience in the shelter in place? Just the start of all of that. Well, yeah, it's it's really interesting because I had a different experience than you, Jasmine, because I know that that was one of the busiest times of your life is when mm -hmm. the, that was happening and everything was happening in the world and, and your professional career. Um, I was working in the micromobility industry and I was overseeing the um, scooter share down in Dallas, Texas. And when COVID hit, we had to shut down that entire unit. And so then I was out of work at that point. So I was at home seeing what was happening. It was 55 days, I think, without a meaningful in-person conversation with someone, you know, other than wow. just exchanging something at the grocery store, you know, buying something at the grocery store and those quick interactions. And so I was at home, um, watching in real time all of the different events, whether it was COVID or as we continue on, we have uh, Breonna Taylor, we have um, yes. Ahmaud Arbery, we have George Floyd, all of that stuff was happening. And I was part of the community that wasn't working and was watching it happen every day, all day long. And it was such a, a crazy time in all of our lives. Yes, it was really, really tough. Um, Bryn, No, I mean, I would just say same. I think the the pandemic, coming sort of before the rest of this timeline, the pandemic being the start. Obviously I I worked at Nova and we were doing Nova things and we were um, making plans to really scale intentionally and maybe add one person the next year. Uh, we had contracts for in-person workshops. We were at that point flying people to the West Coast all the time to do workshops and it, it just stopped, right? One, right? On one day, it just stopped. And so- from a business owner perspective, it was, it was frightening. It was, this might be over. And like, um, lots of conversations about how, what are you going to do? Like, this is, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no failure here. This might just be over because mm -hmm. nobody knows how to, um, to navigate this, this, what's happening. Some, a lot of our clients and L and D departments were getting furloughed. And so like just getting bounce backs from our emails when we had in, like, it was just wild. Personally, mm -hmm. I was trying to lean into the ambiguity of all of it. And like the, it is, this is so much bigger than me or us. 
Um, I was trying to spend time with my daughter that otherwise I would never have been able to do because we wouldn't have been home together. Uh, and, and we were just taking it sort of one step at a time. And then of course, as we all know, the, the lid came off. Um, of course. Yes. Right, right we, after. <laughs> I never had imagined like what <laughs> there would be so many other things on its way for us. Um, speaking of the bounce back emails, that reminds me, I completely forgot about that. I was working in public relations at the time. And I remember sending um, pitches over to, you know, news reporters that we, you know, had great relationships with and boom, one after the other, they just from different stations and outlets, just, oh, they no longer, it was just so fast. They no longer work here and furloughs and uh, pay cuts. And, you know, 25% pay cuts. And it was just, it was so wild. And and I sincerely thought um, when they told us to pack our bags, we're going to be out for a couple of weeks. We'll see in a couple of weeks until this blows over. I was like, okay. And I have never been back to the office since. Okay. So um, very, very wild time. And so we're, we're going through all of this, trying to wrap our head around the pandemic Different states, different regions are handling this all very differently. So that becomes a thing. And then George Floyd murder happens where everybody for the first time is sitting down and we have a a front row seat, so to speak, to, and by the way, I want to acknowledge had been happening, been going on. Um, certain communities were already very privy, very hurt, very affected, very upset, you know, outraged even by all of the previous countless names that we could go through that this has happened to. But this was the first time that everyone was sitting down and had a front row seat. We're all, if you never watched the news, you were watching it now. If you were not really a social media person, you were a social media person then. And you couldn't escape it. It was in your faith whether you wanted it to be or not. And then the outrage collectively, globally ensues. What do you both remember about that time as well? You personally, what were you doing? I know for me, working in PR, we were slated to launch a campaign for a client at the time. I woke up that morning after this happened and I sent an email that said, we're not launching your campaign. I hadn't spoke to no one at the company at the time. I'm like, we're not doing this. Something big, bigger than your campaign has occurred. And we're going to, we're going to focus on that now. And I thought for sure I was going to get fired and didn't know how to, you know, (laughs) I didn't know what direction that was going to go, but my heart and um, values could not keep me from being compelled to send that letter. And um, I'm glad I did because it ended up working out, which we'll get to later in this timeline. But I want to hear from you. And even in the chat, what do you remember feeling at that time? How did that affect your day to day? I think we talked a little bit in prep for this, something that I find interesting. So to start, I don't think that this that what happened could have happened without the pandemic, right? To your point, Jasmine, folks were engaged and like paying attention in a way that they had never been. I also think the pandemic gave some folks nothing to lose, right? I'm already furloughed. What are you going to do? Fire me, right? Or like, 
everything mm-hmm. was so chaotic when we saw like restaurant workers calling out their restaurants and we saw all the accountability and we haven't really seen that since because now the stakes are high again. Um, mm-hmm. But there was a brief little window of time where the power dynamics that we're used to under capitalism existed, but they were all jumbled. And so mm-hmm. it felt like folks were like, what do I care? What do I have to lose? The world's gone mad. So I might as well say the thing. Um, and that I feel like is, is a key ingredient to how that became the way it was when it was happening in real time. My experience was, it was sort of like in slow motion. I felt like everything was happening in like this weird, slow, fast motion. And, um, you know, as somebody who's tried to intentionally be part of this conversation and specifically around police violence and white supremacy and whiteness, there was certainly an element of like, come to the party. Like I'm here mm-hmm. to, um, you know, have as many whiteness dialogues as I can. I'm here to like talk to as many folks as I can. And then it just kept coming and kept coming. And we talked about y'all, like the texts that we would get, like, oh, yeah. the way like- that white folks would reach out to people like me to be like, tell me everything, you know, and any advice about this thing. Or one time, 10 years ago, I said this to a black woman, what should I do? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) And the way that I think that they would also reach out to black people and say, things that were like maybe well-intentioned, but wildly. Yes. I went to lunches and breakfast meetings and yeah, my DMS were filled. Yes. I got a lot. Oh, weird. what was coming at me was just a bunch of apologies as well. People saying, I'm so sorry this is happening to you and yes. all that. It's like, okay. Um, <laughs> what are you going to do about it now? strange guilt soup we were all living in. Oh, um, yes. And let's talk about it because there's part of that that was motivating for folks. And like, you know, I wish people would feel more guilty now, but not in that. Oh, that's, that's long gone. Yeah, yeah those not in the way that it somehow still ended up putting so much work on folks of color and specifically black people to like carry mm-hmm. this guilt. Now right. the apologies and the things, it, it was a lot. It was a weird, strange transition from asleep to awake for a lot of people. Absolutely. But let's talk a little bit to um, the social media support, right? So the, the outcry, the, I, I just remember everyone I followed at the time, uh, was just how, oh, I just, I'm going to sit and listen. And they would have, you know, Instagram lives with people, their Black friends that I've never seen on the grid. Um, and to come in and speak to them about educating them and being better and this and that. And it was just, ah, uh, the performance. It was a performance, you know. Um, also, I was a part of many protests and uh, that was a whole other layer that was happening. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a very, very wild time. Um, and that just segue into the frantic need for DEI in the workplace, right? So social media, you know, that wasn't the only, time, you know, place where people were pouring out their uh, support. Um, there were letters crafted and pledges made, and we'll get to the pledges a little bit later, but um, and in a frantic need for having DEI departments, no one knew what DEI stood for, but they desperately needed it. Um, what I think someone in the chat are they saying the Karens? 
was the Karen born during that time too, naming them, finally putting a name to it during 2020. Um, and then uh, I was, you know, like I said before, I worked in public relations, but I also was certified in DEI. And I walked into my initial company that I worked for at the time and asked about DEI work and departments and I was blown off. And then all of a sudden my phone started ringing. And I became a DDI person real fast, in addition to my PR responsibilities. Um, but what was it like working in that space already uh, for the Mad Dash? Because I wasn't with Nova yet. So. Right. It was, again, slow motion, fast motion, right? It All of a sudden, on a dime, those folks we were getting the bounce backs for that were furloughed were suddenly back <laughs> and like we talk about the job description, right? They were back and better than ever and getting their back pay because those organizations couldn't pull them back in fast enough. So like right. somebody has got to deal with this, right? right? Mm-hmm. We're getting mm-hmm. questions. People want a statement, those kinds of things. So um, that was, that part was great. It was awesome to see clients that we had been working with in this work. They were doing it in 2017. They were doing it in 2018, Uh, The pandemic shut it down. And then all of a sudden now there's energy for the work that they've been trying to do with us. And that part was awesome um, to have that, to be able to try to make hay while that sun was shining. Then there was the frantic need that was coming out of complete left field. And it, it certainly from a business perspective, when you think that your business might close because of this global pandemic, and then all of a sudden there's never been as much demand, you're like, okay, well, this is great. We don't have to think about whether we stop paying ourselves or how how we navigate this complete drop. Um, more than the financial and the business part was again that like, oh, we have a responsibility to touch as many folks as we can while they're listening. Like we knew it wasn't going to sustain. I don't think we knew the level to which it would recede, but we knew it wasn't going to sustain at that fever pitch. And we really thought, this is a, this is the window, right? This is an opening. Mm -hmm. And the reason we started Nova, the reason we got into this work was to, to try and reach folks who might otherwise not come across these conversations in their echo chambers and, you know, that in their own circles, um, to try and reach them in the workplace where they, they might, um, be reachable. And so that just felt like our, we had such an opportunity in hindsight, that, you know, again, not everyone's intentions were pure and it was hard right. to suss that out at the time. It was very hard to be in judgment. Everything was moving too fast. <laughs> right. Every single person, Jasmine, that you said, like was performative. I swear to you, every single one of them would have passed a polygraph test saying it was like they would have passed all the tests about it. Yeah. Um, so while it was, and we see ultimately there, it's it's faded from folks at that time, their whole bodies believed it. And mm-hmm. um, we were really working to honor that. And I think, again, in hindsight, we would have figured out how to really prioritize the kind of work that we did during that time and, and who we would do it with and not, not feed into the frenetic pace of it all. But it just felt like such an opportunity to everybody was listening. Right. Everyone was listening. And I think that played out across a lot of businesses and a lot of individuals who I think is Jasmine, as you say, like all of a sudden you have all this power right now. Everyone's listening to you and the organization. And should you have given that away for free? Should we have done work with every person that came to us? It's hard to say where we sit now, I think. Right. I agree. 
Bryn, as far as staffing in 2020, uh, I don't know if you'll recall it right offhand, but what did you enter 2020 at? And due to the demands of the business, what did you end 2020 at as far as staff? Yeah, it's a great question. Like I said, we were trying to bring on one other full-time staff person in 2020. So we came in with um, the four of us partners and I think two full-time staff. And we ended, I believe, with 15 full-time staff somewhere wow. around that. Yeah. Wow. The work. And again, we thought this is great. We had a list 37 people long of folks we would love to hire to work in the space with us. So um, it felt like this was just helping us get there quicker uh, and bring really, really great people into the work. And again, as the, as with any bubble, there's a burst. And right, right. I think we'll talk about how Nova has weathered that, but I think really um, sadly about a lot of black owned businesses in different spaces that probably experience a similar bubble and then burst that it, that it probably took them out, you know? 100%. Yeah. So that's the next thing. So black owned business rush to support black owned businesses it was everywhere, um, diversifying your suppliers everywhere. Um, it was just, there was, I think there were like uh, some companies had uh, added web pages where like, these are the list of people that we support. These are the people that you should go out support. This is how many dollars we're spending with black owned businesses. This is just frantic, <laughs> just a frantic rush. But on the flip side of that, you had Black businesses that were not able to get loans. Now, all of a sudden, the PPP loans accelerated this process. What would take, you know, six to eight months or more, now you can get it in 30 to 45 days or less. Right. Um, so that was amazing. A lot of Black-owned businesses that absolutely deserve the spotlight were receiving it. The outcry of support from everybody was just so incredible to watch. Um, but of course what goes up, you know, must come down. Right. And so is the support still there? Maybe regionally. I know I live in Houston and I can confidently say that our support here is very strong, but what is that the same for Chicago? Is that the same for New York? Is that the same? You know what I mean? Um, so that was just, it was a rush. And then we don't really hear about that. And I wonder too, if some of those suppliers that were those diverse suppliers that were brought on in 2020, are they with those organizations today? Is that still a priority? Or we're just going to go back to the language of we're just choosing who does the best job because all of a sudden that didn't matter, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, that's just something to consider too during this time because that was... Um, a Russian, I, most of the people in my family own their own businesses and they were talking a lot at the time about how they've never felt so supported and they've been in business my whole life in many different uh, sectors. And um, I don't, I don't, I, I would say that the support is still there, but it's not as much as it was in 2020 for their businesses. So, right. and then um, <laughs> in addition to the black owned business rush, um, the public displays of anti-blackness specifically, uh, anti-racism specifically, people started to up the ante in their, uh, their open letters <laughs> and all of their support, wanting to make sure that it was specific because before it was just like, we do not support racism. And then by um, 
the end of the summer or not even maybe the end of spring really uh it was really let's just go for the anti-blackness public display of of love um what do we think about that where is that today is it still anti-blackness or is it we just don't support we're, we're back to we just don't support racism we don't support discrimination yeah i think i think it's it's such a tricky thing too, because the conversation sort of expands and contracts, right? There are, we always say at Nova, there's no like hierarchy of oppression, but there can be an urgency of oppression depending mm-hmm. on the context. Um, so I think rightly so focus shifts sometimes depending on what's going on and which communities are like being most targeted by, by bigger things. That Mm -hmm. is different to me than the dilution of anti-racism and pro-Black versus anti-Black, like, um, which I think we have seen that dilution for Mm -hmm. sure over the last few years of anti-racist needing to be broader. And now we're talking again about inclusion and belonging, very important things, very different than anti-racist. We're talking about, you know, tiptoeing back towards tolerance and we want everyone to belong and have a safe space. Like we're kind of going back to that. Yeah. yeah we're going back yeah. to some of that catch-all language that ends up diluting the reality mm-hmm. of what's going on. I think it's where a lot of folks um, feel more comfortable. We're getting a lot of requests for like working on unity and, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, the divisiveness, right. Which, which for Nova is always just an ironic, we don't want to be divisive in the way that we do this work. Nobody does. This work exists because the divisions are there. We're not right. being exactly. divisive, yep. right? right. It's yep. divided. Mm-hmm. We're just We're naming it. about literal gaps that exist in outcomes. And so the division is there. Uh, but we're starting to hear that, that narrative, I think, more and more that is moving away from Black Lives Matter, moving away from anti-racism into more general space. For sure. Uh, I just have to say this in the chat. Um, I have to to bring this up. Karen, did anyone else get reparations via unsolicited public Venmo? I sure did. No, I missed out on that. Of all the things, (laughs) of all the things that was going on that summer, that is the one thing no one was sending me my reparations. And you're like, save the lunch. I know. I was taking out to lunch. I got a measly lunch, and she got Venmo's. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, that's amazing. I I had not heard of that before. Yeah. No, I I didn't either. Not. I wonder who all was getting that that summer. That's that's very interesting. Wow. Just when you think you've heard it all. And so we have that going on, the anti-Blackness that we see now is less targeted, you know, and now during that time also, there was that job security for people who worked um, in DEI and a friend talked about how you increased your team at the time. Um, Ben, were you facilitating during this time as well? Uh, Yes. Oh, no, not in 2020. Not in 2020. I was doing it in 2021. Okay, 2021. So I remember for me, it was, um, you know, obviously my public relations responsibilities. And then I became the resident DEI person building roadmaps and programs and hosting listening sessions and speaking with CEOs directly. And I mean, it was just 
Yeah, I never felt more needed. I was working on weekends and uh, all of a sudden everyone had my cell phone number that I never gave them my number. And, I, you know, I was receiving texts at 9 p.m. about DEI related topics. And I said, this, should we craft a message? I didn't mean to say that. I'm like, you're fine. Go to bed. You know, it was just like it was a lot going on. And uh, yeah, it was definitely. um an incredible time to be needed, but also feeling completely unappreciated and my boundaries were um, being pushed to the limits. No one really thought about how I was a Black person experiencing all of this and how I'm, you know, when I'm not on Zoom, I might be crying about the things that, you know, are happening on the news. And I'm also, you know, working in this space and you're not paying me to do two roles, but they're needed. And um, no one thought about the person. It was just like this uh, complete taken advantage of, but security in a very uncertain time. I really didn't know how to feel. Um, and so it was just very, very tricky. Um, which later on, I kind of see how maybe now people in those positions at those companies, I they're still serving dual roles or is it back to business as usual? I will say towards the end of my tenure in PR, it was nearing back to business as usual. So, um, and then finally here, of course, the $200 billion pledges to racial justice initiatives that were happening. Where's the money? What are we doing with that? Exactly. Well, we'll talk about, I think, where the money is now. I think at the time it was, like, I'm a sucker, you know, I'm naive mm -hmm. AF. So I'm like, this, this is what we need. We need some money behind yes. this, friends. Like, let's do it. Um, meanwhile, many folks of color and black folks in my life were like, uh-huh. <laughs> let's, let's see, let's see that money. So Where is it going? Because that's a lot of money. I mean, the world should be saved right now, right? It's a lot of money. Saved. Right. Yep, absolutely. So let's get into the questions. I'll turn it over to you, Ben. Okay, cool. Right on. Uh, and I want to slow it down because I'm hoping to engage the audience a little bit right now. As we just uh, went through 2020 and the calendar of events that Jasmine just took us through, I want to think about these two questions. What impacted you the most in 2020, as well as what seemed performative? Uh, what did you identify right away as performative, even if looking back uh, that you saw an organization, uh, a company, a sports league, anything like that? But I also wanted to tell a little bit about my personal story, because Jasmine, you had uh, alluded to this earlier when you were speaking about what was happening in our lives at that point in time and what impacted us the most. And for me, as I mentioned, I ended up being out of work due to COVID and being able to watch in real time with the rest of the country um, tackle the George Floyd incident. June 1st was a pivotal day for me because in my community, that was the day that um, chaos came to our community and the police were out, um, the vigilantes were out. It was a really... Um, chaotic scene in the community that I was at. And I was out of work. And like Bryn, you had mentioned, what have I got to lose at this point? And so my whole life changed dramatically on June 1st, because being out of work, I had nothing to lose. And I knew that my voice was needed in my community. And that's when I started getting involved in community organizing and, and fighting the good fight and building community, um, bring people together at a time where it was really scary. So I, I did a, a thing um, 
called front yard meetups, where I just invited people to the front yard because we couldn't be in people's homes because of COVID and people weren't interacting with each other in person, but we did socially distanced uh, front yard gatherings. And it was at that time, I did it to build community, but I also did it because I was scared. I was scared as to what was happening. I didn't know a lot of my neighbors in, in the city where I, I was living at the time. And it was a beautiful thing to see people want to be together during this, again, chaotic, harmful time for so many people. And doing that community organizing is what led me to make connections in the DEI world uh, with Bryn and other folks in the surrounding area that led me to become a professional DEI consultant project lead for Nova Collective. So the last two years, two and a half years, uh, I have grown exponentially as, as far as this work and how I view this work and where I see myself and my role. And I would love to hear what other people, maybe there's someone else uh, in the audience on the call right now that uh, changed careers because of what was happening with COVID and the DEI work like I did. Um, maybe there's a pivotal moment because for me, George Floyd, so May 25th was obviously the pivotal moment when George was murdered. June 1st is when it came to my community and the front door of my community. But that was the absolute catalyst for me getting involved. And I knew that this was the time um, to use my voice and to bring people together and to create change. So how about the audience? Please put it in the chat or you can hop on uh, and, and speak to us and get engaged in this conversation. But what impacted you the most or what did you find to be performative? And that goes to Jasmine and Bryn as well. Yeah, um, hmm. I was just about to say something. I see something in the chat here. See, as a marketer, we were reactive in 2020. During the um, mm -hmm. end of the year, planning for 2021, we definitely had to strategize to be more proactive. Now having processes in place for different scenarios are an integral part of strategy planning. Could not agree Couldn't agree more. I think that um, what impacted me in the, the most, oh, that's a tough one because everything, <laughs> right? <laughs> Every single thing that happened, right? Um, what seemed performative and again, so many things, it was those open letters. That really, the open letters, and those social media campaigns were sending me over the edge. Um, I was writing a lot of those open letters, by the way. So that's how I know that <laughs> they were not even being written by the people that names were signed right. and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, that was that was a lot. Yeah, it doesn't get much more performative than that. Yeah, Just signing sure. your name to something someone else wrote, right? Yeah, there was a lot of talk, but not a lot of walking the walk, 100% for sure. I think it working in Nova, one of something that stands out to me during that year, the whole thing was chaotic. I think of spreadsheets of just lists of inquiries that we're getting through, the, you know, all of these things. It's just like so much. But I remember distinctly, I had gone, my uh, partner and I were taking our daughter, trying to just get out of our house because of the lockdown. So we had rented an RV so that we could sleep in our little thing, right? Like, so we didn't have to go to a hotel or anything. And I remember driving um, downstate 
And I was laying in the bed of the back of the RV on a, on a conference call. Cause I don't even think we'd, I don't know that we'd figured out zoom yet at this time, <laughs> right. but we had had like an emergency, like let's get our collaborators, like trusted partners, folks in and outside of Nova who had worked with us since the beginning, before the beginning. And our biggest conversation was, are we, be, are we complicit? Right. If we're, mm. if things are on fire and we're putting out the fire for people and we're writing the statements or we're helping them nuance the statements, where do we draw the line between progress and complicity? Um, and we certainly didn't solve it on that call, on that call. It was a conversation that, that has really never stopped, but certainly that feeling the whole time of, are we helping? Are we hurting? It's nothing. Everything is upside down. It doesn't, I can't tell anymore if we're helping mm-hmm. or hurting. Um, I was just going to say, how would you know at that time? How would you know? At that time, you wouldn't. Yeah. No. Yeah. no. And when, but when all you, when you, what you have wanted is for folks to listen to this work and engage and energize around this work, it feels like this should be a success story. And there was uh-huh. still something about it that was like, I don't, I don't, it felt, it felt complicit. And I think what we came to even on that call was it's both, right? It's always uh-huh. both. It's never one or the other. Um, yeah. But that is one of, that's like seared into my memory. It's being in the back of that RV, um, trying to parse that out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Should we jump forward to 2021 here? Yeah, let's, let's talk do it. Let's do it. Let's fast yeah. forward. Making progress, everyone. We're moving forward. <laughs> we're getting, yeah, we're getting out of that. Get us, yeah, get us out of 2020. Yeah, I was like, I just had a moment of like, oh, need to take a deep breath. Heavy. Um, yeah, we should. I'll take a deep breath. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, all right, so let's fast forward. So we're in 2021. What was happening? I know that um, in the chat earlier, that urgent expectation, because now we know the terms. We didn't know what DEI was at the beginning of 2020, right? Now we do, and we need it today, tonight, 5 p.m., where, you know, we need it. Um, and then we have the support of uh, Black-owned businesses is starting to decline. We're starting to see you know, not the call to action for that uh, be so prominent everywhere you look. Um, we have, now we know what DEI is. Now we know we need the department. And now we're going to put unequitable expectations on, you need to have 15 years of the experience that we didn't even know we needed last year, but you need to have 15 years of experience to come run this, you know, this department in our organization. and then the great resignation. So um, yeah, 2021, did we catch our breath that year? I don't know. That's still, (laughs) honestly, that still remains to be seen, to be honest. But um, I'll go back to the urgent expectations. Um, And I touched a little bit of that. You know, I, my phone was ringing at 9 p.m. at night. I remember purchasing a car and 7 p.m. driving to another city to pick my car up and then people were calling like hey I know it's after hours but it was just like not even about what you're actually paying me for now all of a sudden you need this statement you need this this deck you need all of these things tonight you know um it was just really unreasonable and outrageous um I can only imagine what it was like at Nova during that time people were I think the thing that is still, we, we, I think most people at Nova would say that 2021 was a tougher year than 2020. Um, yeah. Just because of that 
transition now. Everybody needs it. The folks who were more poised to act on it emotionally had done so in 2020. The folks mm-hmm. that came to the game in 2021 had some sort of roadblock that they were resist, right? There's some resistance, which is why they're coming to it. Some of them were doing intentional planning. We love 2022 clients. Uh, but yeah. 2021, there's a lot of folks that were mean to us, frankly, right? Mm. Because of that urgency and because they didn't really believe in this. They had, the pressure had just built up enough that they had to, and they resented that they had to, yes. and they resented that they had to spend so much money to them with us. And we were supposed to make all of the problems go away. And when we didn't, there was a lot of like very mean, cruel, like demoralizing, certainly the year that I think most folks at Nova who were here at the time, like shed tears at work. Mm. And not just because someone hurt my feelings, but like it was the way that only corporate America can in terms of being condescending, um, not valuing lived experience or perspective, mm-hmm. oh, credentialing yeah. everyone. Who are yes. you to tell us that? Yes. Like, that sort of um, vibe started taking over the guilt. And like the guilt vibe was bad, but this was worse for sure. Yeah, this was definitely worse. This is where the the business case started revving up. What is the business case for this? How do we measure this? Right. Those questions started really revving up in 2021. Yeah, but we understand all of that, but that's kind of like feelings and vibes. Can you tell us how to measure this? What does this mean to my business? How is this going to grow? And all of that energy is directly connected to the great resignation <laughs> because now you put out these statements, you've made these pledges, you've, you've said all the things on social media you're hiring these professionals to come in that need 15 years of experience or something you don't even know about. And, and it's showing up, we're talking about performative. It's showing up in ways at work that's actually making people feel worse, <laughs> you know, make, making them feel pretty bad. And now people are, we've been through enough. And now in 2020 and 2021, there's still that feeling of, I don't have to deal with this. We're out. New businesses are being started. I know I can get a loan now, you know, so we're out. Um, And so I remember going to restaurants in 2021 and managers coming over saying, we're so sorry, we don't have to staff. And I didn't feel bad for anybody that year. (laughs) I can honestly say that. Um, If I'm being honest, just because I know that there was so much going on and so much strain and now you're, you want everyone to feel sorry that no one wants to work. So how is that showing up for you too as well? Even in the chat, what was that like being, you were employed in 2021? Because Ben, I know you said in 2021, I think you were back in the workforce at this time too. Yeah, I was I was fully back in. I was doing DEI consulting, facilitating strategic planning uh, with my previous um, uh, organization. And I really saw it happen the second half of 2021, in, in, which is when you brought up um, the um, business case. Mm-hmm. And that slowed those conversations because they they weren't coming. Certain organizations weren't coming in good faith. And so they were using the business case to slow down what was happening. Momentum was being lost. Um, All the energy was being taken out of the room. When they got on board in 2020, 
they were excited. Their teams were excited. They were making things happen. They were getting trainings in. They were getting some road mapping in. And then it started to slow. And that just um, has cascaded into 2022 from what I've seen as well. For sure. But I think it's so, like that right there too. Like I physically felt a pang in my heart when you say that, because the, I think the arc from 2020 to 2021, that was so hard to be a part of was folks like me who might've been naive, um, groups of black people, people of color and organizations who suddenly had power they never had before. And then in 2021, watching their realization that nothing was going to actually change. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was literally the definition of heartbreaking to be Mm -hmm. on our side of things. Um, especially to be again, then black folks on our side of things, watching that happen to folks they have built relationships with. Um, and yeah, that, that sort of disappointment and that realization, that dawning of like, oh, oh, we're not going to do this, are we? Okay. Mm. Um, that was heartbreaking. Yeah. When they had so much hope. Yeah. There was so much hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was it. It was a letdown. It was um, reality. Now everything's back to business. And yeah, we have this in place, but you better, you better make sure you remind us why we have it in place and earn, earn your keep in this space was definitely the vibe of 2021 for sure. Yeah. We can go move on, get a little audience engagement here. Yeah. So, and I want to hear from Bryn, of course, but did you notice less support or momentum for DI, your organization in 2021 leading into 2022? What were you feeling in your organization? Please put it in the chat. If you'd like to raise your hand, we can get you on with this live. And in what ways did you start to see a shift? And Michelle, I'm going to read yours out loud. I haven't skimmed through it yet. So let's see. We'll go through this together. In 2021, I heard my Black colleagues say to your company leader, to our company leaders, you've set DEI hiring goals, pledged increased sense of belonging, et cetera, et cetera, but it's not working. You're still not hearing us, end quote. And our company leaders feeling frustrated and confused, not understanding why and what they were doing was not hitting the mark, hitting the target. There were a few leaders who dug in and wanted to learn more but many others who didn't. Those who didn't wonder why they were feeling frustration and confusion had it morph into resistance, resentment, unfortunately. That, it, it, yeah, yes. wow, that's poignant. Yes. Mm. And we're all like, let's take a second to really take that in. <laughs> so, again. <laughs> like, Michelle, can I invite you to come off of mute? Like, I love that so much because I think that really, really hits the nail on the head. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for your comment. My pleasure, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit, so you were saying that, so you've witnessed those, like you said, all of those DEI hiring goals, all of that momentum, and then the company leaders feeling frustrated and confused, not understanding why they weren't hitting the target. Why do you think that they felt confused and frustrated? Well, because I think that the goals were still set without the target audience as part of it or or kind of shaping a little Mm -hmm. bit more around what exactly does this look like? So as HR was saying, okay, we've got a diverse slate. Okay, everybody has a diverse panel, et cetera. 
you just really weren't hitting at the heart of what needed to change. And so on paper, those who were, again, maybe this was also what you were referring to with the measurement. Uh On paper, the measurement looks like, all right, we're nailing it here. But the people who were actually legacy employees who weren't getting those opportunities were saying, well, wait a second. I also would like to be part of these um, hiring panels and, and be considered for these promotions. Why am I not? And also at larger meetings, you know, I saw some uh, folks kind of doing the, the uh, I don't know if this happens in all companies, but, you know, the side chats that are happening during the big meeting. Yeah, uh, <laughs> complaining about and almost, you know, eye rolling and making fun of like what mm-hmm. was being said. Everyone's patting themselves on the back about what's what's being accomplished, quote unquote, when the reality on the ground just wasn't any different. That is so true. I, you know what? 2021 was also the year of the padding on the back. You're absolutely right about that. <laughs> it was the year yep. I was thinking while well, Michelle was talking, it was the year that the phrase, we really need to celebrate our successes in this space too, started coming mm-hmm. up more and more. Mm-hmm. And like, know that one of Nova's core like commitments is joy and celebration. So any of this is not to lean into the negative. It is not to like, pass by the winds. Um, but when you have folks leading with, we really need to acknowledge all the good things we've done in this conversation, it's a red flag, right? There's something mm-hmm. going on, but that became the year of, we really need to celebrate our successes in DEI. Um, but to Michelle's point, and this is, Nova also loves measurement and we love business cases right. within the right context. And you can't, we always tell our clients, you can show me a survey that says, that 90 some percent of folks feel included here. But if if the person who works at the front desk feels that no one says hi to her or feels X, Y, Z, like that qualitative piece, that experience, if this isn't landing in folks' guts, it is not working, right? right. Um, so we can measure it and it has to also include qualitative. 100%. No, Michelle, that was such a great, great comment. Thank you. Yeah, and Monique, uh, definitely less engagement in 21 and 22. The moment had passed and the urgency to get back to normal took over. Yes. Absolutely. 100%. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. They couldn't wait. Whatever normal is. So, Bryn, what's happening now? What's the current state of DEI recession? Oh, y'all. Here we go. So this is, again, we've we've spent all this time sort of unpacking how we got here because it's important. Um, We talk about any recession, there's a bubble that precedes it, right? We were talking and planning for this, comparing it to the housing bubble, comparing it to the dot-com bubble. Whenever there is something receding, it's because it was inflated. And we saw the conditions under which this inflated. And now we're seeing the pendulum swing uh, into it receding. And I, I do want to, I want to caveat that as we're talking about this, it sounds like we're leaning into all of these negative things. Um, there are leaders from 2020 who woke up and stayed awake and continue to fight for this, right? There are folks in 2021 that came to this work thoughtfully and are doing amazing or We work with a lot of these people. Yes. So we're not excluding those narratives to only lean into negative. The negative narrative is um, loud and impactful. Mm-hmm. And so I do want to lift up the positives and the folks that have been doing great work around this too. Um, Cause again, we, we work 
with those folks every single day. Um, Right. Amazing. I mean, we're so lucky. Mm -hmm. But like any of these things, the pendulum swings, I think um, one of my colleagues said it goes one way and then it comes back uh, with equal and opposite force (laughs) the other way. And some ways that we've been seeing it show up uh, at Nova are really specific. Um, small from small things to legal departments being involved in our conversations in a way that they never were before. We always have legal involvement in procurement and the contracting and things like that. That's pretty uh, run of the mill for us. But now we're seeing legal show up in these HR contexts, right? And some of it is um, organizations becoming more risk averse around DEI. Uh, as the sort of temperature shifts and changes, uh, they're worried about things that there's no precedent for, right? There's a lot of unprecedented sort of landmines in the DEI space around identity, uh, around affirmative action. Um, and, and for a while, there was an executive order that put folks in sort of a risk averse space. So that has caused a lot of nerves um, to be coming up. And, and we often preach, I like, your risk is really on the on the not doing it side, right? Like if you're risk averse, you will be doing this. Um, and it's in, in finding ways for it to be defensible. It is not about not doing it. But we're also seeing legal departments like really stepping into our content and like wanting to shift our content or we want to remove these things. And that's not something we had seen before either. So that's a new wrinkle and it's a different conversation. It's even if an HR person, a talent or people ops person um, wants to shift something, we're usually speaking uh, from a similar perspective. Uh, we're, we're coming from the same lens, even if we have different opinions or perspectives on it. Legal departments, we are not from the same. We don't have the same goals. Um, we're not. We're not looking for the same things. Uh, and in their goal, especially if they're counsel, general counsel for a larger organization, is again to be risk mitigating, uh, and they're looking at that from a very often binary perspective um, and a precedent based perspective, which means they're looking at things that are already grounded in racism and sexism and all of those things, and they're using those to kind of guide their decision-making around that. So that's been a new thing to navigate. Similar with chief financial officers being more involved in the work, wanting to um, to come in and talk about ROI more explicitly. And again, happy to have those conversations. We don't shy away from them, but the business case is taking on this whole other level um, of prove it, prove it, prove it before we've even done any of the work. Um, so those are sort of new hurdles that are getting thrown in our way. And I have Temple, Texas here on the slides. We're going to take you on a little journey. And um, this is really an example of something that's happening uh, within Nova and within some of the folks that come to us. And it's happening across the country. And again, we see the pendulum swing. This is where it's it's very concerning. So um, all of this is public record. We're not, we, we very much honor like our NDAs with clients and things. This is all very public. Um, this process that happened and Nova was engaging with this municipality and some really wonderful folks on staff at this municipality to do one of our organizational assessments, which is really a 360 view of the organization um, around through this lens of DEIB. So surveying the staff, focus groups, doing a policy and process audit, it all ends up with recommendations about how they can be evolving on the DEI journey. So things like hiring, uh, when it comes to municipality, often we'll talk about meeting accessibility, things like that, uh, tactics for them to to really evolve. 
uh, and in the course of this, there's a group uh, that that has folks in Temple, and I think they have folks kind of across North America because it seems to be similar groups that pop up when this conversation happens that went through Nova's social media posts and found some posts from Pride Month a couple of years ago. One of them had featured uh, a drag performer just kind of testifying about how drag had really impacted their life in a positive way. And they went wild. Um, so you see down here in the corner, this was a poster that they made, uh, an anti-Nova poster. They, uh, and Jasmine can speak to this, Jasmine joined a phone call with them <laughs> to talk about the contract and was completely taken off guard um, by the accusations of Nova being pedophiles, yes. um, of us trying to force the residents to dress in drag. Jasmine, do you want to give some voiceover to oh, that? Oh, sure. I'd love to hop right on in here. Uh, <laughs> good times. Um, no, it was, it was jarring because, um, as Brent said, it was just supposed to be a meeting where we spoke about business and answer questions that regarding our engagement with them. And as soon as the Zoom link, as soon as I clicked on it, I noticed my face was on a big screen in a room filled with people from the town ready to fire off horrible disparaging comments and ask probing questions and very accusatory. And I had never experienced anything like that in my life. It was, it was a very, um, a test to your grace, you know, and test to your, your patience. Um, and, uh, I was told, well, you wouldn't know, you know, how we feel about this because, you know, we're from Texas. So am I, uh, you wouldn't know anything about this because we're Christians. So am I. Um, we have some things in common, guys. Um, and so it was just, it was very um, interesting to say the least. But what it did was a lot of times, and I was telling the team this, is that we work, as Brent said, with really amazing partners and people who do care about pushing this work forward. And then this is obviously something that I believe um, professionally and personally, you know, this means a lot to me. And of course, I surround myself with like minded people. and it was just like a wake up, wake up. There's people who feel like this and they're right up the street. And I live in the fourth largest city in the US. We're very diverse here. And so it's very easy to be in a bubble yourself and not even know you're in one. And then you have moments like this and you remember, this is why you're doing what you do because all of a sudden you're a pedophile because you, you don't have a problem with drag queen or you know LGBTQ plus community. So um, it was very eye-opening, an excellent reminder um, as to what we're dealing with. But in that Temple, Texas, man, they will never be forgotten. That's for sure. <laughs> when we bring it up to not, I mean, it was a wild ride for us that was, that was in some ways, ironically amusing. And, and really that yeah. was just to cover the the despair and fear is scary. Um, folks are are frightening. And, and we bring it up in this context because again, to illustrate, we went from this bubble to sort of a weird challenging apathy. And this recession doesn't mean it's just going away. It means it's actively working against us. That's like, mm -hmm. it's not just a neutral. Right. We're not going back to where we were. We're going, there are places where we're going to worse than where we were. And this is especially poignant after there was a mass murder in Colorado Springs of LGBTQ people, right? So this is not um, this is not a game 
right? This is not just someone who disagrees with us. We work with folks who don't quite see it our way all the time. Uh, we, we don't, we're not dogmatic in our approach uh, or the way that we pursue this, but this experience is happening all over the place at libraries, at school boards, at, at any government uh, where folks are trying to implement this work. They're not just being met with uh, resistance, they're being met with this sort of energy. And that to us is a concerning trend because we would ex we expect that to continue. Um, it's right. really just starting to gear up. Right. Again, another sort of um, feather in the cap of the DEI recession will bring it back around to this money that was pledged, right? Uh, 1,100 organizations committed a total of $200 billion to racial justice initiatives. Uh, and 90% of those pledges came from financial institutions, which I had wasn't aware of until we were looking into this. And then another thing we weren't aware of until we looked at this, more than 90% of that amount that came from those financial institutions is allocated in loans or investments that they could stand to profit from, more than half in the form of mortgages. So as Jasmine said, um, yes, folks are now getting access to capital maybe in a way that they hadn't been. But this is not altruism, friends. Like right. this, right. this is this is capitalism. Um, and we there's no transparency or accountability that that money was even spent in any way, shape, or form, um, much less as loans that ultimately would profit the financial institutions. And this really sums it up where we stand with that investment. Now, most folks don't know what's happening. If you work at an organization that made a pledge, made a financial commitment. Most people within that organization have no idea where the org stands with that commitment currently. It could be because they're just really not great at communicating this. It could be because they're working slowly and trying to get it right. It could definitely be because they are hoping that it, that it fades away and people don't ask a lot of questions and we don't right. actually have to make good on that. But regardless of the reasons, it's really growing that distrust, that feeling of um, you pulled the football away, right? And the, the third time you do that, shame on me for continuing to believe you when you say something. And so it's right. adding to this hurt, I think, ultimately hurt that can manifest in so many different ways amongst folks who, who really did believe that, as Ben said, there was hope, right? There was change coming. So we, we said we would bring it. <laughs> <laughs> to your DEI budget. <laughs> Bringing it on home. Bringing it to here. And then hopefully would love to chat with folks more. Um, in, the, in light of all of this, why we shouldn't be cutting our DEI budgets. We're going into this, again, murky time fiscally of, is there a recession coming? Not, is it inflation? What's happening? Um, and organizations, certainly DEI headcount, DEI budget, we expect to be some of the first things on the chopping block um, as folks tighten their belt. And we we appeal to that through, through these points. The business case is still the business case. It didn't stop being true. Everything that happened in 2020 is still currently, was true before 2020, is true now, will be true next year. Anything that was said, any heartfelt polygraph passing statements that were made, are still 100% true. Uh, so the only thing that's changed is how we are honoring that truth or reacting to it. There's, there's nothing that's new. It still increases innovation. It still increases profitability. It still builds more talent, attraction, and retention, as you see for number two. The, the workforces of Gen, uh, Gen Z, the generation after them, young millennials, all of that, they care about this. Right. Uh -huh. And as I told one CEO, 
I'm done trying to convince you if this group of super talented people that are the future of your company wanted you to paint your walls green, you would just do it and stop asking questions. And so they are saying loud and clear that this is important to them. Just do it. And for some reason, we can't quite get there the same way when it comes to this topic. So that's the second reason is the talent attraction and retention as employees still have power in the hiring market, right? There's more open jobs than there are folks to fill them. They still have that power. Uh, and this is a way to keep people on staff and to keep folks being interested in your organization. And then number three, as we were writing that, I literally said this sentence out loud. I can't believe we're still making a case for this. Oh my God. (laughs) Because at the core of it, while again, we can do business case, we can talk ROI. I take it back to heart conversation. Y'all, this was messed up and it's still messed up. And we Mm -hmm. have to get in there and unmess it. And if we are coming at this from a place of having to convince around dollars and cents and investments and payoffs, we're having the wrong conversation. And that's doesn't, I don't look at it as this is moral high road, um, but it is human, right? And at the end of the day, we're all humans playing business uh, in right. our society. And 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 so the, the idea that we have to defend this somehow, like really sucks the life out of me. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, I agree. it's really demoralizing and depressing. And I'm hoping we can tap back in collectively to the emotion that these leaders felt because I do believe they felt it. Um, and, and that's some of the work Nova does in the coaching that we do of connect back to why this matters, connect back to why you couldn't sleep at night for a while. That's all real. Uh, and, and when you can connect with that, then you can also connect with the joy in this work. Mm-hmm. And right. And there is joy in this work. Exactly. So yep. joy. Endless joy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, if we can push through the guilt and and stay connected to the emotion of it. But so those are our three reasons not to cut your DEI budget. Right. So our final thoughts as we wrap this up, we've talked about the pendulum is swinging harder one way than where it went the first time. So we're paying the price for progress. That's good alliteration. Uh, the memories are fading, right? We have amnesia of what statement, what pledge, what commitment, (laughs) what did I say? Um, We're tired of making the business case around this. It's falling short. It's not that compelling. um, And it is a stall tactic. Mm -hmm. And so what do we do? I think we need to take it to the, what do we do? Where do we go from here? And Ben and Jasmine would love to hear from you all, you know, what your thoughts are on how we move forward. Ben, I'll let you hop in. Well, I just go back to my organizing roots and the work that I have done there and how that is so important to not only organize in your workplace to get, um, we need solidarity in the workplace. We need to have more than just one or two people that are voicing and raising the issue and, and identifying the needs around DEI within the group. We need people to align with each other. And obviously voices are heard, voices are powerful when they're together, right? Mm-hmm. And when it's one or two, it's not nearly as powerful as four, five, six, ten, um, and that's what got things done in 2020. Is people mm-hmm. were demanding that this yes. happen, and they were united and in solidarity. And we've lost some of that because of the momentum and being having to talk about the business case all the time versus doing what is right that has a direct benefit to your your business. And uh, so I think organizing and solidarity is what um, I am focused on uh, communicating and inspiring people to do in the workplace to make sure that the momentum regains where it was, comes back Mm -hmm. to where it was. How about you, Jess? 
Yeah, and just to piggyback off of that as well, um, I just think back to like the example of when I said I hadn't spoke to anyone, but I was writing letters about <laughs> why this matters and why we want won't be launching your uh, campaigns and um, being bold and seeing something and saying something. Right? If you see something, say something. Um, you know, it's small acts of things, not not tolerating things, acts of microaggressions that are happening in front of you at the workplace or not allowing people to, um, you know, speak to others or to you, you know, standing up for yourself, advocating for other people. And those were things that I was doing. I remember before I came to Nova, before my phone was ringing about being a DEI head at the companies that I was, you know, was at at the time. And I still think that even though that might be a small action, it's very impactful and can mean a lot to your colleagues and um, to the organizations that you work with. And, um, you know, maybe it has slowed down pretty significantly where you work, but that doesn't mean you have to. So keeping that momentum within yourself and being um, an example of what that continues to look like, you know, after 2020 is really important. Mm -hmm. I think we have to we have to be willing to take risks and that doesn't always mean being confrontational, right? I think I think of this as folks watching this part of this conversation. There's a call in that we can all do with someone. We need like whether it's a peer, a colleague in your organization, a coworker, whether it's your CEO, there's an email that can be sent. There's a conversation that can be had and it doesn't have to be tense or, or, or confrontational. It can, it can really just be asking the question, hey, I remember where we were and what we said in 2020. What's going on now for you, right? Mm -hmm. I'm checking in. I want to know where mm -hmm. we're at. I wonder yeah. what's changed um, that, it, that we don't seem to be doing the same things we were doing. What has changed um, did we achieve our goals? Would love to know that. So I, I think there is a curiosity around this that can help folks are experiencing a lot of dissonance right now. And that is dissonance is a great wedge into change because mm -hmm. the humans don't like it. <laughs> we don't <we'll> either <laughs> rationalize it to be correct, but if we're challenged around it, it can really be, uh, something that initiates a different path. And so it's not about, shaming or blaming per se, I do challenge and call on my white friends to be complicating this with other white leaders and organizations and not leave all of this to black and brown folks to, to be uh, bearing the brunt of, but it doesn't have to be a hostile conversation. Mm -hmm. I think we need to collectively restart these conversations and call in around it because everything climate and I mean climate like culturally, not climate disaster, which can be a whole nother webinar. I was about to say this is the next one. <laughs> the next one. Right. Everything, all signs point to we're about to, it's about to get worse before it gets better, right? Mm -hmm. We have a presidential election that will be playing out in front of us. We have a um big decisions around big social justice issues, ICWA, affirmative action, these sorts of things that are that are happening. So there's going to be a lot happening in real time and are we going to just be back to heads in the sand or are we going to be meeting these moments um that we have an opportunity to do i think it's a great time to be calling on our leaders in any organization to be rising to these occasions uh and and i hope that we can see that resurgence of momentum that we had without all of the guilt 
Right, right, without the guilt. Maybe some right. of the Venmos. I don't know. Jasmine, drop <laughs> your Venmo. Maybe some of the Venmos. Send them my way. For right. sure. I missed oh, out the first wave. Hopefully, hopefully there's another wave of that. Definitely looking forward to the Venmos, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I just I want to read the... Oh, oh sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to acknowledge the, uh, the comment here. Having yeah. a seat at the table as a Latina woman is a priority for me. Appreciated by colleagues when they see this happen more and more from Cynthia. Thanks for that comment um, because it is important. And also not just um, having a seat at the table, but creating more space at the table for people like you, right? That's great. Sorry, Ben. Oh, no, absolutely. I was just going to reference that I love how, Bryn, you positioned the calling in and how you framed that conversation to go back and say, I remember where we were and where are we? Um, And to draw that out of them, because the more I, I think about it, really bad things are going to continue to happen. And there's always going to be a need for the work that we do. And having these conversations um, in a positive calling in way versus calling out is is uh, just a great way to approach it at this point in time. Yeah. And there may be a time we're calling out. It's back where we are. It's, again, generally dangerous for folks when they don't have the power. Right. And until the landscape shifts to where those folks have power again, even for a moment, it's really um, can be dangerous to to do the calling out method. But I hope every I mean, if folks are on this conversation and, you know, dozens of you have spent the last 90 minutes listening to us wax poetic and go down (laughs) memory lane, no matter what capacity you're working in an organization with whether you are explicitly in DEI or you're not, whatever role you have in an organization, you are in DEI. And there's no one else who's going to have this conversation. You need to be the disruptor, um, no matter, again, where you sit within the organization. We have to be starting these narratives. We cannot morally let this fade away after the big leap progress that we had. And we absolutely cannot let, the narratives coming out of Temple, Texas and other places. And again, small minority in Temple, Texas, please be clear that there are the vast majority of residents in Temple, Texas don't didn't put those statements forward. Right. But those narratives are killing people. Right. And mm-hmm. we yes. must stand up against those um, very, very firmly and loudly. Stay with woke y'all. Do not let them rock you back to sleep. <laughs> it's easy. It's relaxing. We get back into the vibe of our own lives. And, you know, it's tough enough individually for everybody. And I get that. But stay awake because it's uh, it's a lot happening out here and we need each other. Yeah, absolutely. Any other parting thoughts from the friends that are that are still with us here? How you plan to leave this space, what you can be doing uh, as we head into 2023? what you can be doing within your organization. How can we slow the recession together? That's right, power in numbers. Yes, yes. Yep, speaking truth. Mm. Absolutely. And I love, I think Ben's point is, you know, find your people, the solidarity is key. Or as we say, can't fire all of us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We yeah. know they need need everybody in those seats these days. So unless you're Twitter. 
also the another the webinar. Webinar. Another, another webinar. Yes, the yeah. other webinar. <laughs> the other webinar. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thanks for being here and, and going down the traumatic memory lane with us. Um, we love doing these. We love having your insight into them. Like we said, in December, keep your eyes out. There'll be a real live wire conversation about white supremacy and how it's operating uh, across marginalized identities in real time. And we're really eager to dive into that. So in the meantime, as Jasmine said, stay woke and uh, take care of yourselves everyone it's a lot a lot going on yes thank you everyone all right thanks everyone bye